What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following is a presentation of the Match Talk Podcast Network. It's time for the ODU Wrestling Monarch Matcast, a show dedicated to all things related to the Old Dominion Wrestling Program. On the web at monarchmatcast.com. Now, here's your host, three-time National Wrestling Writer and Broadcaster of the Year, and 2004 ODU alumnus, Jason Bryant. Episode 34 of the OD Wrestling Monarch Matcast. Pleasure today to be joined by uh, the guy that really had a, a big impact in my understanding of the world of collegiate and international wrestling. He was a coach at Old Dominion for 17 years and a recent inductee into the Hampton Roads Sports Hall of Fame, Coach Gray Simons. Coach, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. Now, first of all, I just want to know where, where the name Gray. It's Elliot Gray Simons. Why didn't you just go by Elliot the entire time? It's always been, as far as circles I know, it's always been Gray. Well, I uh, when I was a small child... That's what they started calling me. My mom and dad started calling me Elliot. And I was uh, a junior. That was my dad's name, Elliot Gray Simon. So they just called me Gray. Yeah, just to you know, get some you know, get some separation about it. Okay, it right. makes sense. Simple story, nothing crazy behind it. But uh, as, as you went on to wrestle, of course, you became, you're Gray Simons. And I'm looking at like old guides, and it's like Elliot Simons, Lock Haven States. And I'm like, that's that's Gray. That's that's mm-hmm. coach. Actually, I, I mean, I don't even think I call you Gray. I, I've just called you coach ever since I was right. like 18. But as we talk about the the Hall of Fame a little bit, interesting class that you went in with, with uh, Rocket Rod Taylor from the uh, the Hampton Roads Admirals. Uh, I got to know Rod a little bit when I interned with them. Tisha Penicharo, one of the greatest basketball players ever to step foot, not just at Old Dominion, but in women's college basketball. Mike Kadire went in, and I understand uh, Coach Steve Martin had a few words about uh, Mike Kadire's wrestling career that he kind of let let the crowd in on. Yes, he did. He uh he, he he thought Kadire should have stuck with the wrestling from middle school right on up to high school, but uh, I think uh, I think he he had his fill of wrestling and decided he wanted to go another route. <laughs> yeah, it, Mike Kadire is pretty well respected up here in the state of Minnesota, so I, I got a feeling he might have made the right career choice because uh, he probably <laughs> made a lot more money than than a wrestler would have. Uh, I'm sure of that. <laughs> Well, coaches, what's interesting is uh, not just the, the I don't know, umpteenth Hall of Fame you went into uh, with the, the Hampton Road Sports Hall of Fame, but 
I'm looking back on the research. You went into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame in 1978, and, and it's like 30, let's see if I can do that, 38 years later in the Hanson Road Sport, you're still getting inducted in the Hall of Fames. Well, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate, and I'm glad they they brought me in. It was very nice of them, and, uh, you know, you know, when you're wrestling, and when you're wrestling, you're thinking, I'm winning this match. You win enough matches, you win the tournament. You win the tournament, you know, you go on to the next thing. You never think about a Hall of Fame when you're uh, competing. You know, that's uh, that's uh, way down the road. So you that never never thought about it. You know, when it happens, it's a it's a good thing though. Yeah, before we even get into all the the accolades that you have, uh, you're a Norfolk native. You're you're now living in Virginia Beach, uh, somewhat retired because as as we learn in the sport of wrestling, wrestling coaches actually never retire. But uh, you know your foundations in wrestling came from Norfolk. You wrestled at Granby High School under uh, Coach Steve Martin's father, Billy Martin Sr. And you know, talk about just getting involved in wrestling in that era where you know the Martin machine was rolling at Granby. I mean, how did how did kids get involved in wrestling in that era? There was no internet. There was no video. There was there. I mean, there might have been a flyer here and there. But uh, explain how you got into the sport. Well, uh, at that time there was no middle school or junior high. You went from uh, seventh grade to eighth grade was at Granby High School. So when you got in the eighth grade, uh, you took physical education class, and uh, and uh, Coach Martin was that's what he taught physical education. And of course, he had a section on wrestling, and then you'd uh, you take the wrestling course, and then he, they would have an intramural tournament, and uh, he would sign you up for it whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> so you wrestled in the intramural tournament. And then if you did okay then, he'd, he, you know, he'd talk to you about uh, coming out for the team. And uh, as I tell people, uh, in the eighth grade, I was in a 75-pound weight class, and I got second. But there were only two guys in the weight. <laughs> so that's how I got started. It's kind of like my first tournament. I was second out of two weight classes. But uh, let's not com- let's not go comparing careers right now because that 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 argument will end very quickly. <laughs> so as, as you go through Granby, a lot of people they know your accolades, but in high school you only you only picked up one state title. Whereas your brother was a four timer, you eventually went on to to great success at Lock Haven with four NAI titles and three NCA titles, and we'll we'll touch on that later. But you know your brother's the four timer, you're just the one timer, and you and that was your sophomore year. Right. My freshman year, I wrestled, and uh, but then at the end of the year, Mike Grandstaff, he was defending state champ at 98. He he dropped down, and uh, and then he he went and he, he defended his title and pushed me out. And then uh, my sophomore year, I was at I was up at 10, 103, and uh, so that's the year I won it. And then my junior year. I lost to Grandstaff in the finals because he had switched to Norview. They changed the school zones, and he was at Norview. So I lost to him in the state finals. And then my senior year, I only wrestled the first half of the year because when I started at Granby in the eighth grade, I started in the middle of the year. So the next January, when I turned the ninth grade, Coach Martin says, we're not going to wrestle you 
until next year, and you'll have four full years. So I thought that was a good thing, and that's what they did. But my senior year, uh, they changed the rule. If you start in the middle of the year, you're finished in the middle of the year. So I wrestled the first half of the year, my senior year, and by that time I'd caught on to it pretty well. I'd, the, the fellow that won the state championship from Mari, I pinned pinned him in the first part of the year. So, um, so I really didn't get a chance to wrestle in the state meet. So from that era, we talk about getting involved in wrestling, but and then there's the recruiting angle. I mean, you're coming out of high school in 1958. How do you end up at, at Lock Haven, which is then known as Lock Haven State College, now now Lock Haven University? It might have even been Lock Haven State Teachers College, for all I know back then. Because right, I think it was <laughs> and, that first year. Yeah. How do you yeah. end up in Matt? And it's called Matt Town because it's a wrestling crazy place. I mean, you, I mean, you walk up there now. I don't think you'll have to buy dinner or drinks anything because it's oh, it's great. Let's go. Let's go do something for him. But how did you? How do you end up there from Norfolk, Virginia? Well, we went to the uh, Eastern Intercollegiate Tournament. Uh, Coach Martin took uh, Curtis Alexander and Bill Corby and I uh, up there, and uh, uh, it was in Pittsburgh. And uh, we had a couple of guys wrestling. I think Bobby Guntz was wrestling at Lehigh, and um, maybe a couple other guys. So we went to watch the tournament, and uh, he talked to different coaches. And then there was a guy from Columbia University that had gone to Lock Haven. He got talking to Billy Martin about Lock Haven, and uh, they had a, you know, he said the coach there was very good, Hubert Jack, and they had a national champ in 1953, Gus D'Augustino. He was NCAA champion. He was in 52, his alternate on the Olympic team. So Billy Martin called Hubert Jack and said, I got, he said, I got two boys interested in your school. Like for him to come up there and look. The other guy was John Epperly, and John had he was went to the Citadel for a year, and found out he wasn't cut out for that, and he wanted to go back to a different school and major in PE. So uh, Billy Martin told Hubert Jack, he said, "I got two guys. Uh, I'm setting them up. He said one of them will be a three-time NCAA champ, and the other guy will be the best manager you ever had." So. So we went up and uh, <laughs> we we went up and looked at the school, and uh, we we liked it. It was nice. We really liked Coach Jack, but they had no scholarships at all. So I got back. I told Coach Martin, I said, I'm going to have to go to Virginia Tech. They'd offer me a scholarship. And he said, Gray, you're not going to Virginia Tech. You're going to Lock Haven. And I said, Yes, sir. And uh, quit my paper route and got a job at Southern Block and Pipe, stacking. Concrete. So that was it. Now, back in that era, and people look at all the the results, and they get in, uh, discussing the top ten lists. And you, you're, I mean, you were un, you were, I think, wrongly left off the seventy fifth anniversary team. But when we look at at the career back then, the NAIA and the NCAA, their schools were dual affiliated. It wasn't like you win the NAIA, you qualify for the D ones. If your school no. was was dual affiliated, you could right. wrestle in both. And Lock Haven had a, a bit of a stipulation where back that was also an era where freshmen were ineligible at the NCAA well, level. But well, yeah, yeah, that at that time, if you had under 500 men, freshmen, you could wrestle. You used freshmen for varsity sports. But 
you couldn't be in the NCAA as a freshman. There was no freshman in the NCAA tournament. But if you had under 500 men, you could use freshmen for varsity sports. Lock Haven only had 850 students, you know, and most of those, half, or at least half of those were girls. So. And, and in that era where, where you had mentioned, what's funny is, is you mentioned Mike Grandstaff and, and he beat you out for the spot in high school, 1962 NCAA semifinals, you beat him in the NCAA semifinals and these Granby guys are everywhere in that era. Right. We had and that, we had not only Mike was in that tournament, Okla Johnson at Michigan state. Uh, he was uh, a Granby guy and Billy Merriam from Lehigh. He was at that weight class. So we had four guys at that weight class in uh, 62. And if we're looking at it, you wrestled Grandstaff in the semis, uh, Okla Johnson lost to Mark McCracken, who you beat in the finals, and that's the video that you showed us every year at the uh, when we come over to play bocce ball yeah. at your house. And it was, you know, you're you're so fast, the film couldn't catch the, all the moves you were doing. I mean, it's like we've heard you were fast. I mean, how how fast do you think you actually were? Well, I don't know. I think it's uh, the main thing. I think on that is is uh, you practice a lot and you get your timing down and. In wrestling, part of the thing is you get the guy to react. You, you you set him up, make him react, and you know what the reaction's going to be, and then you time your timing. So you act, he reacts, and you're ready for his reaction, and then you you hit your move. So it's uh, it's just not uh, I'm going to shoot a double leg. It's like uh, I'm going to start with an arm drag, and then he counters. I'll do a double leg. So it's uh, to get get the guy to react, and you know the reaction. So that just takes a lot of practice and in and uh, doing it over and over again. Going back in time a little bit to to the pre Lock Haven, but you were coming out of Granby. Old Dominion was actually just starting up a program. Pete Robinson started the program in 1957. And was there ever any thought about going to that 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 school? I guess at the time it wasn't even Old Dominion College yet. Uh, it was, no, it was, I think it's still William Mary Division. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was right in that changeover. I mean, was there, was there ever any thought about even saying I'm just going to stay in Norfolk and wrestle? No, I didn't think about that. I, you know, uh, Coach Martin had uh, talked to some schools, and I had some contacts. Like University of Maryland contacted me, and uh, well, Billy Guttermuth went up there, went to Maryland. He was a senior that year, but. Uh, you know, once I went up and saw Lock Haven, I thought, well, this would be a good place for me because they've had they've had success. You know, they had a national champ. They had successful teams. And uh, it was uh, wrestling was their main sport. You know, that's, they had it was 850 students, and uh, they draw over 1,000 people at matches. Yeah, the the field house there where they held the Matt Town tournament for right. a long time. I mean, their yeah. wrestling room is connected to it. And as if for those who've never been there, you walk into those doors through the field house into the wrestling room. There's pictures of all the national champions, paintings and pictures. Well, right. guess which one's dead center, folks? Gray Simons above the doors. So you can't go anywhere in that town without at least seeing yeah. a little bit of gray. So anyway, it was you know it was a good thing, and when the, when. Where the wrestling room is now, when I was there, that was a swimming pool. And we practiced in the field house. And, uh, uh, and, you know, it was 
you're in a big area, we've we'd put mats down and stuff and, and just wrestled right there and wore a lot of sweat clothes. <laughs> as as was the case back then. Now, when when yeah. you well, what's interesting is during your college career, you won NCAA titles, nineteen fifty nine. Actually, NAI titles fifty nine. So sixty two, sixty one, sixty for the NCAA's. You had the NAI in nineteen fifty nine as well as you, you've won seven college national championships. But in that time, there was a little thing called the Olympics that you wrestled in during your college career. I mean, they were in Rome, and the wrestling competition was in the Colosseum in Rome. What, what, what was, what was your memory of that? And, and what did you think going on? It's like, wait, we're going to wrestle in the Colosseum. Well, actually we were right next to the Colosseum. It was, a, it was a, called a Basilica. It was a, it's like the archways thing. are kind of what connected to it. Is that kind of yeah. it's technically in it, but not like in where the lions were. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we were kind of right next to it. And it was a kind of a half dome type building. So, in the morning, in the walls face the east. So in the morning, they had a morning round at uh, like at eight or nine o'clock, ten o'clock maybe. So they had a round then, and then when the sun got up over top of it, it was too hot to wrestle. So then they had a night session. So you could wrestle like ten o'clock in the morning, and then you could have another match at the night, or you could miss the morning session and have a night session depending on how they do. And then every day was a 6 a.m. 6 a.m. Uh, weigh-in. And it was flat weight every day. You had no weight allowance. So I think I went for like four days in a row. I was in the tournament making flat weight every day. So it was a, it was a, it was a tough thing. Yeah, not like where they have the now. It's a twenty-four hour weigh-in for the Olympics, and, and in college it's right. two hour. I mean, it worked. It's and they're, they're only weighing in once at the Olympics. So of course the the competition now is only one day. It's hopefully something they will eventually change. But you had the opportunity to wrestle in two Olympic games, nineteen sixty, nineteen sixty four, and and you're getting into coaching, and your coaching route took you from Lock Haven, which your your program saw great success, to Indiana State. And I want to kind of jump into the Tennessee and the Old Dominion years because at Tennessee. You had one of the top 10 teams in the country. You had uh, All-Americans coming through. And then the SEC was has, had began falling apart with the wrestling programs. What do you remember about coaching at Tennessee when, when, when the Alabamas are fa- dropping, the Auburns are dropping, you know, Kentucky had a good team. They were dropping. I mean, it was basically yeah. Tennessee and LSU left. Yeah, we were the last two teams. And, you know, all those teams, Kentucky, uh, Auburn, Florida, all were top 10 teams at one time or another. So it was a very competitive conference. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, like you said, LSU, and we, were the last, we were the very last team to have, to, to have a team. And, uh, and the AD there uh, was a good guy, and he think, I think he liked me and he liked what I was doing. And then when he retired, the new AD, he was there a year, and they dropped the program. And you know, they used the excuse of Title IX. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I just think they were—they made a decision to phase out wrestling in the SEC, and that's what they did. Yeah, the the, the question or finger always tends to point on which team started it. Uh, people point to Pat Dye at Auburn. People point to uh, Bear Bryant at Alabama. But in that era, I mean. 
what was it like to to be in the SEC, which was still football country? I'm sure it was just as crazy then as it is now, minus all the media attention. But I mean, what was wrestling like, and how was it respected on campus amongst the students and the other athletes at Tennessee? Oh, they liked it. You know, they, uh, you know, and we we had, uh, we had a couple of football players on our team. They just kind of came out for came out for the team. Uh, so, you know, they, we got good crowds they, and, uh, and the, you know, the competition was terrific. You know, it was very good, very good. And, you know, during that time, well, we won the Matt town tournament one year and, uh, did very well. So, so, uh, it's, uh, uh you know, and like I say, all those teams, Florida and Auburn, uh, they're all tough. Is it kind of, I mean, how do you look at it now when you see in those teams that those monster sellouts on, on Saturday for football and be like, man, all right, they've had they've had sellouts forever, but man, I mean, how good do you think these SC teams could, SEC teams could be today in wrestling if they were to say, all right, well, let's, let's start wrestling up again, conference wise. Well, they could, they could jump, they get the right coaches. They could jump right in there because they're all like beautiful schools, have great campuses. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it wasn't very, uh, difficult to uh, recruit kids. I remember I brought some kids down from New York, and and uh, they really liked it. And and one of them said, uh, "They said, Boy. with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere." This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Boy, this is nice. It wasn't like I, I thought it would be. I said, what do you think it would be? He says, oh, I thought it would be like hee-haw. <laughs> you know, people. a lot of people have said that about Pocosin, too, where I'm from, so I don't know. <laughs> but as, as so, so the program is dropped, and then uh, the opportunity comes at Old Dominion. And prior to your arrival, you know, Coach Robinson had, had retired. Wade Chalice came in for a couple years. And then Steve's older brother, Billy, uh, coached for a year and a half, two years. And then the opportunity's there. And it, when you saw the old Dominion job opened up, what, what was what was going through your mind? I mean, how were you contacted? Because this is also an era where you know Debbie White's there, Mickey Mickey Bale is there, Carol Hudson's there, Doctor Jarrett's there. I mean, how does how does the courtship of Old Dominion uh, in bringing Gray Simon's home work out? Well, uh, you know, I, I, at the, I forget someone t- talked to me at the NCAs and said that. Uh, uh, you know, the old Dominion job would be open and they might be interested to, since I wasn't coaching that year, you know, want to know if I'd be interested. And I said, sure. So I came down and talked to them and everything worked out okay. So, you know, that was good. Was it was it nice to come back home and obviously to, to close out your career? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in Norfolk and, you know, and, uh, uh, well, Mary got a job in Virginia Beach at the school system, so we lived here, and I commuted. But uh, you know, and a lot there, a lot of people I knew still lived here and stuff. People I'd gone to school with, so uh, 
so it was good. Yeah, looking at some of those teams, uh, you know, 1990-91, nationally ranked, 14-3. and You won this, this, the Colonial in 94. Looking through the number of, you know, qualifiers and All-Americans in an era where uh, the qualification systems were vastly different. I mean, in your – I mean, you've been coaching college – you had coaching college wrestling for 37. You've seen so many changes. What do you think about the systems that they've got now in terms of getting athletes to the NCAAs compared to – to what it's been in your days. What were some of the weirder things you'd seen with qualifications and maybe even those wild card meetings? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough thing because, uh, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not like the old days where you, you know, you, you, you're qualified and, but now, you know, the coaches are, if you, if you, if you, maybe they're qualified four or five, uh, but then they'll pick the rest of the guys, you know, it'd be based on, based on the coaches picking them. And uh, that's a tough thing. But, uh, you know, when I was wrestling, it was an open tournament. You could bring anybody you wanted to. So, uh, of course, I don't think they could do that now, but uh, that's the way they did it. <laughs> yeah, you probably uh, have everybody who's like, I'm going to nationals. Uh, but the whole thing is, too, the bigger conferences and the stronger conferences, they get bigger every year, and the smaller conferences lose people every year. You know, it's uh, you know, it's just a tough thing. So, I think it should be everybody should have a minimum amount of they can. Everybody should have at least uh, at least the top two and maybe the top three guys. Take the top three from each each uh, conference. You know, like in the Big Ten, they could take more, but <clears throat> like the smaller conferences, at least take the top three guys. As we, we shift over to some of the athletes that you'd coached in your era, and, and speaking from an Old Dominion standpoint, 91, uh, the first time in school history at the Division One level, there were two All-Americans in one year, Nick Garone and Peter Horst. I, I still see Nick uh, quite frequently uh, as he's still active in wrestling. And uh, both those guys came to o- ODU from other places, and, and what what – was the allure for them? What, what, what did you do to get them there and what made them have success at old dominion as you know, your first crop of, of all Americans at ODU were, were those two in 91? Well, I think, uh, uh, you know, I had recruited a lot of guys from long Island. I had, uh, uh, NCAA champion, Chris Edmonds. He was from long Island. So when, uh, Nick was at Syracuse, when he left there, you know, his, his coach, a high school coach, and the people in Long Island, uh, and, and Chris had, Edmonds had been my assistant coach for about a year down here. So, you know, they called me and said that if I would be interested in Nick, I said, sure. And um, the same thing with Pete, I think, you know, he they knew people that had, had wrestled for me and and at Penn State, they were so deep at that weight, he was having a hard time cracking the lineup. So he came down here, and, of course, he started right away and did great. So, uh, you know, I think coaching all those years and having different people speak up for you that you're doing a good job, uh, that's what does it, your reputation. If you build a good reputation, then you get good kids. 1994, Jody Staler transfers back to the area. He had been an All-American at North Carolina. 
And I believe him and Coach Lamb had a bit of a falling out. And I know uh, <laughs> Coach Lamb was uh, definitely a uh, a character back in that era. But when, when Jody showed up and then made the NCAA finals that year, he was your first Division One finalist uh, at Old Dominion. But you'd coached wrestlers in the finals before. And then there's, for those who don't know the story, a, a you know people could call it a controversial call uh, against David Hirsch from Cornell, fleeing the mat call late in the match that that broke a tie. It was the one point that decided it. And how much do you think about that match to this day and, and go back and it's like, man, definitely could have had a national champ there. Well, you know, that's that's wrestling. And that's the call the guy paid and you, know, you can't do anything about it. I did not agree with the call. But uh, Jody had op- other opportunities during the during that match to, uh, you know, to score. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's wrestling. That's that's the way it works, and that's the way it is. So once it's over, it's over. So uh, I felt bad for Jody because I think he, he had the talent to to be the national champ, but uh, it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, how often do you get back to, to check out matches, and, and how, how close do you follow the program to this day? Well, I go to most of the home matches. If, if we're here in, in town, I go to all the home matches and stuff, so. And uh, you know I go to the NCAs every year, so uh, you know I you know I follow the wrestling pretty closely. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about facilities. And there's a couple people I also want to bring up. But uh, when when a lot of us came through, and granted I was not on the team, but I spent a lot of time in that wrestling room and a lot of time in your office on that on that couch, hearing you tell stories about Doug Bluebaugh. Yeah. But you know, but when when the facilities, I mean, how did they change over the years? I mean, you, we had the old room with the jagged corners and the and the pillars. Now they have a, a beautiful wrestling room, but the campus itself is just undergoing a, basically a metamorphosis. I mean, what do you oh, remember? Yeah. What do you remember about when you showed up? And maybe when what even should... you remembered about to back in the fifties when the school was just kind of getting its footing? Well, uh, when it uh... When I came in in '87, they had a chain link fence around it, <laughs> you know, and it was, uh, you know, it was uh, the neighborhoods around were were kind of run down and everything. They've cleaned all that out, cleaned the neighborhoods up, put in new homes. Uh, the, the campus now is it's it's deluxe. It's very nice, very nice. They made great strides, redoing buildings, building new buildings. <clears throat> the whole athletic complex is is uh much much better and uh it's you know one of the nicest campuses for that size school there is in virginia so and of course the the interesting of the bit you mentioned chris edmund and coach with you i mean there's been a line of assistant coaches and granted uh, the position wasn't essentially full-time until uh later on or at least a full wage later on in your career but uh, who are some of the names that, that you brought in that people need to remember like hey they did coach here yeah well, well, Chris and uh, he came in, and I had s- s- some other guys. I, t- I tried to get Steve Gatos. He was with me in Tennessee, but uh, I couldn't work that out. But uh, Rich Castano, he did a good job for me. Jamie Kelly, he did a good job for me. So I had some good assistants. Yeah, of course. Uh, but, one- but, but none of them were full-time. All of them were part-time. So I had yeah. no full-time assistants. And you even had to teach some classes. Matter of fact, you're still teaching classes. I, as if I can do my math right, you're 77. You're still teaching a class at ODU. Yeah, uh, physical conditioning, PE 171. 
So I had the class today, as a matter of fact. What? Have you had any wrestlers come through that class and be like, hey, wait a minute, weren't you the old coach? Yeah, I've had a couple of Steve's guys in there, yeah. Yeah, so. They get any extra credit by by knowing anything about your career? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of personalities we've had come through and, and. in your career at ODU, uh, you know, one a guy that uh, was was big part of my career in uh, in terms of basically just knowing what wrestling was and, and being uh, being close to the program was Jeff Rusak, who was one of my roommates. He's he's your only four time national qualifier at Old Dominion, and you got him from Pennsylvania again with that tie to Peter Horst. And there's 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 that all those relationships, and when it comes to recruiting. When you get guys like – well, one how, one, how hard was it to coach Jeff because he did stuff that was so crazy unorthodox? And two, wow. I mean, you had some personalities on those teams in your later years that probably added some more gray hairs. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Jeff, uh, he he wrestled like at uh, 140, 142 in high school. And uh, – or maybe, maybe even the 133. I don't know he was – you know, he wasn't very big, and then he got there, he redshirted that first year, and then the next year he uh, was wrestling 150, and then he went up a weight class every year. So, uh, but Jeff was, he had some uh, unorthodox stuff he did, but uh, just like I s- said last night in my talk, there's the right way to do it, the wrong way to do it, and the way that works. And Jeff did it the way it works, so he made it work. So, uh, you know, it was the stuff that you you couldn't teach other people, but it worked for him. So, you if it's working, you let it be. So, yeah, I think he might have thrown more leg cradles in his four years than you might have seen combined your entire career. Would that be accurate? No, no doubt about it. <laughs> I haven't seen one since. <laughs> I see one every now and then, and I'm like, Rusak, you know, I mean, I'll talk yeah. to, you know, Matt Small or something. We'll be talking, he's like, Rusak, what happened over there? And he goes, he Rusak'd him. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about that. And then uh, one story I want to kind of get a little background on is I, when I was doing some research on the history of the program uh, and, and, and digging together for some of these uh, archival type of things that I'm working on, is Greg Satchel's name came up and wrestled for you at Tennessee, comes to ODU, joins the military, and then has a year of eligibility. That's that to me seems like a unique story in in how you know athletes follow coaches and then there's time off because there's a gap between his his three times he wrestled at the NCAAs. I just trying to get your take on on what, what you remember about him in that situation. Well, he came to Tennessee and uh, and wrestled there. And he started as a freshman, and uh, but he was very undisciplined, and uh, we had to stay on him all the time. And uh, but I had three other guys: Chris Edmonds, Tony Mills, and Glenn Lanham. And uh, and you know they would they would try to keep Greg straight. He lived up in the dorm with him, athletic dorm, and uh, and he did a good job. He qualified as a freshman. Uh, for the NCAs, then they dropped the program. Then he, I think, he went to uh, UVA for a year, and he didn't cut it there. And then he went into the Marine Corps. Well, after he got out of the Marine Corps, he was a different guy. Uh, they had really uh, straightened the guy out, and he was all business, 
knew what to do. So he had a year left. So he came 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 to ODU and and wrestled that year and did a heck of a job. And uh, he got hurt in the Nationals, hurt his ribs. Otherwise, I think he would have placed. He was uh, he was very good, very good. Now, of course, the guys that, that finished out my era, the the Dennis Whitby's, the Chad Filsons of the world, uh, we had a lot of fun there, and and uh, really, uh, we talk highly of Coach all the time. And you know, one of my buddies, uh, Charlie Bush from Minnesota, he's out here with me now. He's just moved back, so we're telling stories about Coach Simons. And there's like, hey, you remember that time, Coach? I mean, w- was there a situation with anybody you in any of your years at Old Dominion? We're just like, you know what? I do not. I need to get out of coaching. <laughs> These guys are driving me nuts. No, no, none of the wrestlers, because the wrestlers, you know, they it's uh, you tell them what to do, and they want to do it, and they, you know, they do it. And, you know, if they don't do it, that's 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 hanging on their neck, you know. I mean, if you're into wrestling and you want to be good, then you gotta then you gotta follow certain procedures. You gotta do things a certain way. And stay on a straight path. So if you don't do it, you know that's that's uh, uh, that's your problem, you know. And uh, I'll talk to I, you know I talk to him about it and stuff. But you can't you can't uh, you can't lead the horse to water if he doesn't want to drink. So. And what's also this has also been something that's been consistent with the program. You know, I've mentioned pretty much everybody I've mentioned that's from this era. They're a high school. They're a high school coach. They're coaching now. They're teaching. They're giving back to the kids. And you know, uh, you know Ben Summerlin and, and Whitby and Filson are down at Hickory. I know Jesse right. Pierce and Buckner are over at Grassfield. Matt Smalls at Great Bridge. I mean, I could go on and on. Yeah. Donald Motley is at Oscar Smith. I mean, we've got Old Dominion wrestling alumni that are basically. I mean, Eric Decker's over at at, uh, at Pocosin, my alma mater. He came in when when Steve mm-hmm. was coaching. So. The program itself has really been feeding the high school coaches in this area for a long, long time. My high school coach, Billy Ruff, wrestled at Old Dominion. Mark Billups coached there for a year. I mean, Al Hackman. Right. I mean, we're, we've got so many people from the area that have come through Old Dominion and wrestled for you. How often, I mean, can a day go by where you don't go to a wrestling event and see somebody you haven't coached? <laughs> no, I've run to a lot of those guys, and I like doing it. And it's, they're, uh, you know, it's, it's always good seeing them. And uh, and they've done a great job, most of them. They've, they, you know, they brought the programs up, and uh, it's it's the whole thing's good, you know. And that's, uh, you know, I'm proud that uh, I was able to coach those guys, and they're doing well. What do you think about the the job Steve's doing at Old Dominion now? There's been a number of All Americans since he took over after you retired in 2005. Uh, Ryan Williams has made the NCAA finals. They had two All-Americans two years ago for the second time in, in program history. Uh, Kevin Beasley has been in the, the finals of the, the world team trials for the Greco-Roman team. He's made a junior world team. So, you know, we got guys in, in ESPN semifinals and finals on TV. I mean, I think Steve's obviously done a great job, and you've known Steve since he was – I mean, you wrestled for his dad. You've probably known him since – well, you've known him since before he was born. I mean, right. it's got to be, you know, sitting there going, man, I wrestled for this guy, and now his son's coaching. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Steve's done a good job, and he's uh, he's hired good people to help him. You know, I think he has good assistance, and uh, and that's that's a big thing because nowadays you need you need a couple full time assistants that are working all the time to help you with the program because you just can't do it by yourself anymore. So, it's, uh, it's, you know, you need you need uh, the head coach, you need a couple uh, full time assistants, and 
you know, maybe a couple of part-time assistants too, because, you know, recruiting, that's an all your, all your thing nonstop. That's all year long. So, so it's, it's, uh, and I think Steve's done a good job at that. Last thing I want to bring up as we wrap up this episode is I mentioned your age at 77 and still teaching, still, still riding the bike, still being active, but uh, you and, and your wife, Mary, just celebrated your 51st wedding anniversary. And while you didn't win any medals at the Olympics in your two tries, uh, does does your wife deserve a medal for having to be married to a wrestling coach for 51 years? Oh, yeah. And I said that last night. I said, you know, uh, if you're married to a wrestling coach, plus you had both your sons wrestle, you know, and that is, you know, having your kids wrestle is uh, – it's tough on the mom. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a direct ticket to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember so. I was announcing it. I can't remember what match it was. It was in the field house. It might have been about against Delaware yeah. State or, or George Mason or somebody. I mean, it was it was in an era where we were only getting maybe 50 people coming into the field house. I think they were doing Taekwondo mm-hmm. in the upper level. And there's I can't remember who was ref in the match. It might have been the late Gary Beatson. I don't know. But mm-hmm. when, when Coach's wife – said something you knew it was a bad call because you'll see you'll, you won't hear anything she's up there knitting or something they're like come on gary he stole it i mean it's just like everybody would turn up like uh-oh you done pissed coach's wife off well that's it yeah yeah so anyway it's all worked out and uh you know and uh she's doing well the she still uh, she still runs half marathons so I made it about halfway through a marathon. That's about as close as I got. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a thirteen point one. So she's she's still running those. So that's good. And uh, I tell people the furthest I ever ran was six miles. And that's because I got lost. <laughs> yeah, I I don't want to run six miles. I don't think anybody does. But uh, coach, it's been great catching up with you. We'll we'll see you down the line. And thanks for coming on the program. Okay, thanks, Jason. Take care. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.